Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to yet another episode of East Screen, West Screen. Uh, it is Tuesday, January 10th, 2012, and this is episode 94. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super-secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Oh, not bad, not bad. Uh, it's been a week, a week of movies, a week of sort of getting back to work, uh, got rid of all my jet lag. And uh, this is season three for the show. I mean, this Yay. is sort of, we are officially kicking off, I guess, if we went by seasons. If if one day I do actually compile all these onto seasonal discs, um, this will be the start of season three. We had our first Hong Kong film last week, and we're going to be talking about on the show this week. Um, so, yeah, any, any aspirations for our third season, Kevin? Well, if this is like Lost, then this is the part when we start confusing the hell out of people. I think we've done that already. <laughs> okay. Well, then we start throwing we've in changed, like, uh, We've changed formats. We've thrown things in. We've taken things out. We've had a, a slew of different guests on in, in different formats. So who knows what we'll end up doing this year. Um, but we are happy to be here. And we are happy to have all of you listeners out there who enjoy this program uh, listening, listening along with us in whatever format that you do. Um, what are we going to be talking about today, Kev? Uh, for East Green, we'll be talking about Speed Angels, the latest film from director extraordinaire uh, Jingo Ma. And for West Green, we'll be talking about the Hollywood remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. All right. All of that and much more coming up right after a little bit of news. All right. Um, got a couple news items to talk about this week. Um, the first... <laughs> Well, I don't know if you'd call it official news, but it's a little bit of a special announcement. Um, looks like uh, yours truly is going to be a dad in about six months. Whoa! <laughs> Woo! So, yeah, as if my life wasn't already crazy enough with trying to juggle work and study and podcasting and extracurricular stuff, not to mention all the time I waste on video games. Uh, yeah, now I'm going to be doing the uh, Mr. Mom thing, I guess. Wow, and now I'm, you can teach your, teach your kid to play games. Oh, man, I'm just uh, pulling my hair out. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared, excited. I've got uh, uh, too, too, too many emotions to possibly convey across these uh, digital airwaves to everybody. Um, but fortunately, everything so far uh, looks good. Um, the wife is doing well reasonably well i mean she's having the morning sickness and stuff and um you know we were dealing with a lot of that during the the travel issues that i talked about on the last episode um but she's back and she's settled and uh, seems to be going going pretty smoothly um we've had a couple sonograms and those are all looking healthy and so so far so good and uh yeah well there's that <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna. Have, I'm gonna look forward to having the young fox on the show. Yes, uh, we're gonna. Have, it's gonna be a. Uh, apparently, this is a big year for babies too, because it's a dragon year. Yeah, you got dragon baby. You know, we're we're getting ready to have a Chinese New Year, and it's gonna be switching to the year of the dragon. And as my wife tells me, a lot of people really try and have babies during this period. We didn't really specifically, you know, aim for that for that reason or anything. But as it turns out, we're gonna have a dragon baby. Which, according to the Chinese horoscope, means that he or she, kind of hoping for a she myself, um, will get along very well with me as a monkey and not so well with my with my wife, um, which is okay by me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so so now you're gonna be the podcast host of the Dragon Baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. We'll have to have a, a guest spot on the show for the Dragon Baby. Um, but yeah, we'll all you know keep everybody appraised of uh, how things are going, but. Um, I'm kind of wondering if something's going to have to give uh, in, the, in, the, in, in the near future. Um, hopefully, it looks like um, 
due sometime in July, end of mm -hmm. July, which will be a good time because um, teaching-wise, um, I'll be sort of during the summer break period. I still have to work, but I don't have to teach classes in that period. We basically do a lot of um, program planning and whatnot. Oh, isn't that the summer uh, the summer semester for your school? Or my school, my my school doesn't teach summer semester. At least the programs oh, okay. I teach right now. Um, okay. So basically, do we do all our program planning during that period? Um, but I will be studying. My I, I still have to. I still have my own classes that I'll be taking during that period. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting time management practice for me once things get going. So we'll see how that goes, but. Uh, the one thing I don't want to give up is the show. Uh, that's that's a no-brainer. My wife says she'll do whatever she can to, um, you know, be able to take up the slack so that I can keep the show going. Um, so, dear listener, do not worry. Uh, we won't be dropping the show for baby reasons. Don't worry. We'll record at 2 in the morning so we can yeah. be up for the, uh, the the night the feeding thing. Yeah. And so Uncle we'll... Kevin has promised to change many a diaper, right? <laughs> 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 At the dynasty, no less. Of course. Um, no, that's just kidding. Um, but yeah, a little bit of happy news, and uh, we're excited. And uh, yeah, I'm still in a little bit of a, a daze about it, but we'll see. We'll see where we go from there. So this is the first time I've heard Paul wouldn't tell me before the show started. So I'm, I'm equally yeah, excited. Yeah, um, I, I was not allowed to tell anybody for the past three months. Ah, uh, because of the luck thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I've only I've only gotten. This week, actually, it's kind of interesting, corresponds with our season three, but this week got in the okay to release the word, as it were. So I have not told anybody uh, as of yet. Uh, the, the parents know. The parents knew over Christmas. Um, apparently, direct family is okay to know in the first um, trimester. But uh, after that, uh, you can start opening it up to friends and whatnot. So, uh, Woo! yeah. Woo! <laughs> uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited. Um, but we do have some actual news to talk about. This isn't the baby show. So uh, let's talk about some actual news. Speaking of babies, though, Hong Kong Film Critics. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we love the Hong Kong Film Critics Association. Even though they ba bear us no mind, they bear fellow uh, web critics that are friends of ours no mind either. Um, but they still do exist, despite the fact that there are almost no movies that are classified as true Hong Kong movies anymore, right? Um, but they did have their film awards recently, and so Kevin, you've got a little bit of uh, an update on that. Well, yeah, but now I'm too excited to do the show now. <laughs> no, okay, okay, show must go on. Um, yeah, the Hong Kong Film Critics Society, usually the first um, group of, I guess, film awards uh, here in Hong Kong, because the first half of the year is award season here in Hong Kong. So these are the first, these are the people who actually get together every year. I think it's about twenty thirty. Hong Kong film critics, um, and they actually sit around and they vote as several rounds of voting, and then they do discussions and they actually come up with their awards on the same day. Uh, so this year they've decided to give um, Hui's A Simple Life the Best Picture Award. Um, this is actually the third time in the last five years that Enhui Film got the Best Picture Award from these people. Uh, the last two times was. Um, 2007 with the postmodern life of my aunt and 2008 with the way we are uh, a simple life also picked up best actress for Dini Yip, which is kind of expected. Uh, everyone knows that she's going to win the best of the awards from now until the end of time. It'll be Dini Yip. <laughs> um, apparently that's how good her performance is, but no one's seen the film here in Hong Kong except, you know, uh, a selected group of critics. And of course, you know, people who are in with the distributor, um, the other big winner of the award is uh, Johnny Toast's Life Without Principle, which picked up Best Screenplay, um, which is great because the, the Milky Way creative uh, creative team is one of the winners. Uh, and you never know who's, who's actually in that team. Uh, they also picked, it also picked up um, uh, Best Actor for Lao Cheng Wan. Uh, for, during the voting, actually, Lao Cheng Wan was the finalist uh, in the final round of voting. He was against himself, uh, one, for, one award for... Um, Life of a Principal and the other for um, what's the other one? Uh, Overheard two. So either way, it was going to Lao Cheng one anyway. Uh, however, uh, neither film won Best Director. That award went to Jiang Wen for Let the Bullets Fly, which I guess counts as a Hong Kong film because of the uh, Emperor Group involvement. Uh, now both 
uh, Let the Bullets Fly and Life Without Principle are two of the seven recommended films uh, they have this year. Usually they have ten films, but I guess the films have been so bad this year that they can only pick seven. Uh, the rest of the films are the indie drama Big Blue Lake, uh, Johnny Toe's Don't Go Breaking My Heart. So that's two Johnny Toe films recommended by the group this year. Um, Troy Hark's uh, Flying Sword to Dragon Gate, the 3D wuxia film, uh, Over Her 2. And a bit of a surprise, but I don't know because I haven't seen it yet. Daniel Lee's White Vengeance. Mm. Uh, I guess every year they have some kind of odd pick. Last year, they're the one who gave Miriam Yeun the Best Actress Award for Perfect Wedding, not Love in a Puff, which was a little strange. Um, but they, of course, they, they love Enhui and they keep giving her awards. They also love Johnny Toe. And um, uh, we'll see. The awards will be given, I think, in mid February and uh, the Hong Kong Film Magazine uh, last year they carried a transcript of the discussions uh, that went on for the awards. So I'm hoping to look over that when the next issue of Hong Kong Film Magazine comes out, and um, we'll see if there's any more scoop from there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned before a number like uh, 30 different critics. Kind of makes me wonder where are these guys working at because you don't have that many newspapers in Hong Kong anymore. Um, not a lot of them are online, are they? I mean, a lot of these are print um, columns. Um, some of them, I think, teach. Maybe. Are, are most uh, of them writing in Chinese? I think all of them are Chinese. All of I them, think, yeah. I, do, do we know someone that tried to get into to this group? Uh, I think one of us might have. I've heard that one of us, some of us, or someone that we know, a mutual friend, tried to get into the group. But uh, I guess I'm guessing that they only yeah. allow Chinese. Chinese writers. Is Paul Fonroff in the group? Uh, I could check if we could if we could um, pause the show a little bit. Uh, I'm actually at the website right yeah, now. Yeah, So let me check. Because he would be writing in English for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if... Um, who's the other film guy at... Uh, it is uh, led by... Um, Clarence Tsui? Is he, is, uh, Clarence? He, he's, he's another guy at South China Morning Post that does film stuff. Oh, actually, I see Paul Fonderoff's name in there. Yeah. Um, one of the um, people in the chairman is Law Carr. Um, Law Carr is a very renowned film film critic. He's he's um, he's actually a major member, a uh, pretty high high ranking member at the uh, Hong Kong Film Archive. Lee Chuck To, who uh, who is at uh, HKIFF. Um, yeah, I mean, I see Lam Shu Wing, who is uh, who is part time film critic, part time writer, part time script writer. Um, I don't see Clarence Trey here, but um, yeah, I mean, Paul Fonroff is part of these hmm. people, but yeah. I have no idea what the criteria is. Freddie Wong, the director of The Drunkard, but a long-time film scholar, also also in the list, so these, this is essentially the who's who of Hong Kong film critics. Yeah, I, I, I joked on Twitter before earlier, I think, saying that um, I think there's actually, you know, as time goes on, there's going to be more film critics than there are actually films released in a given year. <laughs> Soon. Yeah. I think in a few years, yeah. Um, but interesting, some interesting choices. Again, um, you know, a lot of uh, praise for Simple Life, even though it's the best Hong Kong film that Hong Kong folks have never seen. It's kind of sad because it just seems like now that the people who are distributing Simple Life are just letting these selected people see it. And in a way, film critics become their promotional tools. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of the way that they're playing the film critics, um, the film critic profession, the way they're playing it for their own use. There's something a little dirty about that. Mm. I don't know about you. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, uh, Love and a Puff and Miriam Young before. Um, you, I, I think you tweeted earlier that the sequel, is it a direct sequel? Love and it's the a Buff? direct sequel. Yes, direct is, sequel. Um, is the, the trailer's up and is yes. out there for perusal. Um, although I don't think it had English subs, Chinese subs only. The Hong Kong version did have, uh, the Hong Kong version has English subs. I can send you a link later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that is a direct sequel. It is a direct sequel. It's set, I think, several years after the events of the first film. The characters have broken up and they reunite in Beijing. So, in a way, this movie is... This is Pan Ho Chun's first official mainland set film. And um, it's also and his first sequel, if, I, if yes, I'm thinking correctly. I believe right? it is his first sequel, yeah. And I, I was kind of angry that when he decided to set the sequel in... in um, in Beijing, but there's Minnie Yang, and apparently she does have cle- she shows a cleavage in the movie, so all is forgiven. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> can I say I'm so I'm, saith Kevin? I'm a man. What can I say? <laughs> I'm only a man, Paul. 
<laughs> what is the line from uh, from uh, Larry Crown? Did you see Larry Crown? Yes, yes. Um, no, I'm a guy being a guy, just being a guy, or something. Um, <laughs> whatever uh, Brian Cranston says it. It's uh, yeah. Um, I, I liked Larry Crown. I, a lot of people really didn't like it, but I, I don't know that. You uh, can't I, really I, be mean to a nice movie like that. Yeah, it's such a nice movie. Not hard. Um, same thing. I thought the same thing about well, We Bought a Zoo, which is you know such a nice movie, such a kind movie. How can you be mean to it? You know, it's like it's like screaming at a kid or a lollipop trying to you know dance for your enjoyment or something. It's <laughs> mean. Why be so? Anyway, all right. Shall we move on and talk about some movies? Yes. All right, let me play this. All right, so for our first official Hong Kong movie of the year, and I mean, are we are we claiming that this is truly the first because it did have a December twenty eighth release date across the border, right? Yes, across the border, it had a twenty. It was released December twenty eighth. Also, actually, it did not have a Hong Kong uh, investor, um, but according to the new love hong kong film criteria uh starting with this year's awards it does count as a hong kong film because mm. of the hong kong director and hong kong star uh i mean even tom is a permanent hong kong resident now so mm. technically yeah it counts okay. as a hong kong movie. so that is the latest film from mr jingle ma uh speed angels uh kevin do you want to tell us a little bit about the story of speed angels yeah <laughs> Sure. Uh, okay, Speed Angels is the latest film, like you, like Paul said, from director Jingo Ma, who made uh, whose last film was Love You You. Um, ah, sorry. Time... Uh, did you say what did you say it was? Love, Love you, you You. Yeah, uh, Michael Wong has something to say. I was screaming inside. I was just. I was screaming in a theater. Okay. <laughs> I was screaming here in this one too. Okay, so this is his latest um, uh, cinematic atrocity, um, starring. Uh, this time he has three big actresses. Uh, he has Renee Lil uh, playing Bing, uh, kind of a professional racer who has um, he has personal problems. Uh, the film starts out with her in Tokyo, uh, kind of retired from the world after uh, her fiance, played by uh, Kitamura Kazuki, a Japanese actor, pretty well known. Japanese actor, um, cheats on her with uh, uh, Yu Mei, uh, her best friend, played by Cecilia Chen. In the ensuing um, melodramatic confrontation, uh, her sister gets into an automobile accident, um, and apparently something went wrong for her leg, so she needs an operation. This is when her her coach, um, played by Korean drama actor Han Jae Suk, uh, I wish we had Shelly on because, you know, she is like the fangirl of the group. So she would know all about Han Jae-suk. Um, he shows up and um, asks her to come back and help his team uh, win um, a race called the Asian Heroin Cup. Not not heroin the drug, but, you know, heroin the, the female hero heroin. Um, and apparently the price money from that would help um, Bing pay for the operation for her sister. So she decides to... Um, take her alcoholism and go back to China and join the racing team. Um, meanwhile, um, the coach uh, one day uh, gets uh, gets robbed on the street and uh, managed to recover his uh, wallet thanks to the help of taxi driver Hong Xiaoyi, played by Tang Wei. Um, and he was so impressed by her taxi driving skills that he also decides to uh, ask her to join the team. Um However, she is uh, an amateur, and even though she's a big racing fanatic, she has some kind of childhood trauma that um, uh, involving some white girl screaming at her on a stage that uh, stops her from, um, I guess, one performing. I mean, racing in front of a camera. She, she gets stage fright, basically. Yeah, she has stage fright. That's caused by a white girl. Anyway, I'll get more into that later. That that apparently prevents her from driving. Uh, I, I don't know how that makes sense, but you know it, it makes sense in the movie's world, so we'll just have to take it as this. Um, so she joins the team and, and of course, learns the wonders of racing um, while while she's changing, wearing different headbands in every scene. Um, so just as uh, things seem to be going smoothly, um, uh, Bing's former fiance uh, brings his evil Japanese racing team, Team Sakura, to China and joins the uh, Asian Heron Cup um, with uh, 
Chi- the the uh, Japanese racer, master Japanese racer, played by uh, Cape Number Seven's uh, Chie Tanaka. So a showdown is on, and of course, the team Sakura, being you know a team from Japan, they're going to be evil, and there will be many conflicts and uh, many obstacles. Um, first of all, uh, holy melodrama, Batman. Uh, yeah, this movie is all about the melodrama. It's all about the the personal conflicts that these women face. In fact, none of these uh, none of the car races actually use real cars, because you know I guess they spent so much money on on the on the on the. Actresses. I think they had one shot of a car coming around a bend. There are several that, shots, that was, of but the it was just, cars. it was just like one car, and they used that shot like over and over, and <laughs> the rest was yeah, CG. Yeah. There are there are several shots with that car going, but it looks like they're like, it looks like PD. It looks like you know elderly elderly racing there. Yeah, it looks at the tracks. It's yeah. not going very fast. Maybe sped up a little bit. There they there they uh they uh drop down the uh, film speed or, or something. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of it's CGI. Um, they did bring in a former Taiwanese idol and I guess now slumming in China actor Jimmy Lin, who is actually. You know, a, a part-time car racer. He's on as a race as a as a as a race consultant. I don't know why, because there are no real races in the movie anyway. Um, he does get one shot where he actually drives a car and drifts it, and that's really the most impressive driving shot of the whole movie. You know, and I guess it's only appropriate that Jimmy Lin, Jimmy Lin is is driving the car. Um, but other than that, yeah, all the other cars are mostly fake. Um, but of course, I guess a lot of a lot of questions surround this movie. Um, one of them is why Tom Wei picked such a bad movie to be in. And I could see why that Tang Wei would hop on the project. One, it's, it's a lead role uh, in a film in China. Uh, it's her second mainland mainland film role after uh, Wuxia, where she just kind of played a supporting actress character. It didn't really give her, give her much room to stretch. So, you know, when, when you have a film that has, you know, two top actresses, Renee Liu and Cecilia Chen, um, at a cast of international actors, you know, Han Jae-sook and Chie Tanaka and Kitamura Kazuki, there are no names to scoff at. Um, I could see why she, she decided to pick the film. And wasn't she cut, too, from the... Wasn't she Mao's wife in the... She was Mao's first girlfriend in uh, in, a, in a great revival, yeah. Yeah, but she was cut, right? She was cut from the film yeah. for, you know, mysterious reasons. But So that this, this is her second mainland film role after her... her, her blacklist um being blacklisted for less caution um so i mean it's clear to see why she would there's enough pedigree here uh the problem is that she never saw any jingle moss films obviously so she, she didn't really know what she was getting into but as a result she she was really the only actress that was really trying of the three i think she was really trying to act um she did well given you know considering what she was given um she even kind of make the headbands work I guess uh, apparently her character her character wears a different headband in every every scene. And, and, and for those of you in the states, these aren't like the tennis sports sweaty headbands. They're more like gypsy like style head scarves, yeah, or something it's like, like Rambo head you know, scarves. Rambo would wear in Afghanistan or something. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. Um, but even then, you know, she's trying hard, and I think she did okay. She she came out relatively unscathed. Um, however, Renee Lil totally slumming she's she in the first half of the film she's pretty much playing drunk in every scene and i think she was really i mean she went method actor here uh <laughs> with that um and she, i mean she was slumming so hard that she would probably got drunk for rio and that was like half yeah. her pay really um and yo, Cecilia, yo jingle more wine yeah jingle more more whiskey yeah yeah more whiskey uh and cecilia chan um I know, I know that even I used the word Cecilia Chern as a as a box office poison, and actually that's not a knock on her on her acting ability. I mean, she's a fine actress. Uh, I don't think anyone would deny that. The problem is that she makes terrible career choices. I mean, the past twelve months, it's also until two thousand eleven, which is kind of a good start, and then it went to Treasure Hunt, and then Legendary Amazons, and then this. I yeah, it just. You figured, you know, an actress with some pedigree would, you know, should have some kind of right to pick her projects, but she just keeps picking them, you know, yeah. really the bad ones. And I have no idea what she's doing here. Um, and yeah, back, but you know, none of them, was, none of these three actresses are as bad as the car chases, really. I mean, those things look like when I played Gran Turismo in PS2, it looked like I was about to take out my PS2 controller and start playing. 
that was how bad how bad it looked. The only real car chase in the film is actually on the streets of Shanghai, uh, it, which begs the question: How hard is it to shoot real car racing in a closed track? You know, it's not like they had any logistics problem to deal with, and I guess they spent so much money on CHR they couldn't afford to shoot a real race. I don't know. Um, that's really the strangest part of the film. I mean, for a film called Speed Angels, you expect you know some real cars, you know, moving, you know. Even deep. even the CG, uh, like the the CG shots were um, reused, you know, in, in a couple places. They used the same footage. Like um, there's a the a scene where they're trying to teach drifting or something, and it's like an overhead shot, and they use that. And and there's another scene where they're trying to show it from underneath, like underneath the track. Yeah, um, and then the camera goes underneath this yeah, transparent and, concrete, and they they use that that shot a couple times. Um, just yeah, it was... seriously, I think I think Namco should sue. I think someone <laughs> is stealing footage from Namco or Konami or just someone should sue. Yeah. Um, but you know, of course, they they should be suing for you know Japanese villains. Yes, the movie Speed Angels has Japanese villains. We've seen this all before because, uh, really, Japanese are like the contemporary the Asian Nazis. Apparently, we we have to use them. Chinese movies has to use them in every film as a villain. Um, it's tired, it's tiring, and and there's no real point of having Japanese villains. Um, and the script, I think, co-written by Jingo Ma. I don't know why. Um, he even it can't really, it, even it couldn't juggle all of its conflicts. It has so many conflicts, melodramatic conflicts. Yes, um, Renee Liu's grudge against um Yu Mei, this Chen character. It has her her being drunk. Uh, you have Timeway stage fright. Uh, I guess a phobia of white girls yeah. or something. And then the the, um, the boyfriend, um, Asano. Yeah. He, he you just knew where he was gonna go too. With um, you, you knew what the end was gonna be like. It was just it, it, it had in, in many ways kind of suffered the same problems that uh, Love You You did in that th- these were all like plot devices that movies were using back in the nineties. You Better know, movies have used these. I mean, since the seventies, for crying yeah. out loud, yeah. And the thing is, it it, it couldn't even juggle all of it. As you know, Renato suddenly stopped being stops being an alcoholic halfway through the movie. You know, she just kind of goes off somewhere. Uh, Tangwei. Well, no, it was um, it was Tangwei's mother, uh, Cheng Pei Pei, and her, oh, yeah. her 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 magic acupuncture. Oh yes, her magic acupuncture, and yeah. then suddenly it, it's gone, and then suddenly she has no more. She she doesn't really hate. Uh, Yume anymore and now and then there was girl power you know suddenly became like yeah Ray became this older sister character and, and her character kind of takes a backseat to to Tomway's um and I guess that's a good thing because Tomway is the better actress here um but seriously the whole movie is silly it's badly directed it's badly written seriously Jingle Ma for the good of humanity for the good of my wallet please stop making movies <laughs> I beg you really I mean when I when I and we couldn't that, even watch this at the dynasty. That was the worst yes, part. Yes, Golden Scene couldn't book the movie at Dynasty. It wasn't because, playing there. Yeah, and no one because Golden Scene couldn't book it at more than for more than three shows at any cinema here in Hong Kong. Rightfully so, because no one should really have to be subjected to this kind of movies. Um, yeah, uh, just. Just, I mean, every when I tweet when I tweet that every trailer seems to be discouraging us from watching the movie. I'm not kidding. It just it just warning us every trailer that came out. It was just. Yeah, and then for the for I guess for lack of better judgment, we went anyway, and we, we sat through don't. it. Yes, I mean we don't. And there's know no better. such thing as better judgment in our group. <laughs> and the saddest thing is for until Thursday, we have to say that this is the best Hong Kong movie of 2012. Yeah, until Thursday because yeah. it's the only one. Um, so you know, if you know what's good for you, you should skip this movie. Yeah, <laughs> Paul. Yeah, well, it's bad from the get go because it kind of starts out like a bad after school special. When you 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 get it, it's uh, Renee Liu's character Bing. She's uh, been she's racing to find racing from her wedding to find uh, her her husband to be in the arms of another woman, which turns out to be Cecilia Chung. Um, and then in a fit of rage, she ends up trying to chase after him, and and her sister gets paralyzed basically in, oh, in but you forgot the ashtray in the ex- ensuing accident um yeah it, it's just it and it it's, it kind of goes downhill from there at least with her her kind of storyline it's just so typical um tang Wei, she she does kung fu too not only is she an awesome taxi driver but she gets out and beats 
some guys up in a in a in a quick scene, but actually she's not very good at it. At least the choreography wasn't that great. It was kind of um, ramshackle and 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 slapshot together. Um, wasn't wasn't anything to write home about. Um, there are some famous famous racers though in the um, Asian female or the Asian heroine race circuit, such as Beyonce <laughs> and Taylor Swift. Um, believe it or not, those are the names of the the racers that are listed up on the race board. Although the people that you see look nothing like the Beyonce or the Taylor Swift that you might know. Um, but yeah, it's it's they've just got some great name conventions here. I mean, the AHR, the Asian Heroin Race, as you mentioned, and Team Sakura. I mean, why not Team Hello Kitty, for goodness sake? I mean, it's just, you don't get any more Japanese than that. Really, to put it bluntly, this is the beach spike of race car movies. Um, you know, the, you know, like you mentioned, Japanese villains. Oh, that's really original. You know, it's the Chinese racers are all about honor and the Japanese are always about, uh, doing whatever they can to try and be underhanded. Um, it's Sorry, just... to, call, to call this the beach spike of racing movies, insulting beach spike. <laughs> <That's basically. laughs> well, yeah, kind of. I kinda. have more fun of beach spike than um, this movie. Uh, but the one thing sleep. you forgot to mention was the country music song. That oh, serves as the rallying cry of inspiration for Tang Wei's character. <laughs> Where they got this idea for this this twangy country music song to be sort of her go-to thing to, to give her moral support, I don't know. But um, at, at, at a certain point, race me up. Yeah, at a certain point, the entire pit crew is singing country music um, <laughs> over the, the mic to her in her car. Um, you, you mentioned the PS2 race graphics that are that are really pretty laughable. I mean, I get that in some cases, going with CG can seem like a more cost-effective way to do things. But if it's bad CG, it's going to be a bad movie. Um, in no way did the CG look like it matched with the reality. The lighting didn't match. The colors didn't match the cars. It was just... It was really poorly done. I mean, I can remember in the good old days, like the 90s, not that long ago, when they made good race movies. I mean, look at something like um, the one Chow Yun-Fat did, uh, All About Along, right? Motorcycle racing. And there were a number of other... Um, full throttle? Um, yeah, full throttle. Also a motorcycle. But there was one... Um, Hell, I, I was just watching one... My, my Dad Kong. is a Jerk, I think, is a Lao Ching Wan movie. It's kind of like... a, a, a a carbon copy of uh, of All About Along, a little bit more cheaply done, but it's about car race cars rather than motorcycles. But even that, they had real racing moments in it. You know, it's um, it's just really a shame that that the directors don't have the wherewithal or the knowledge or the budget to do that that anymore. The thing is, if, if it's if the problem is shooting on a street, I can understand. I mean, you can't. You know, it's it's hard to you know close the street and shoot a real race, but. They were on a closed track. Yeah, um, and I mean, yeah. even the thing is, no is when they show you sort of the uh, the stock repeating footage of the actual race, what you'll see is maybe two cars, and then you won't see the normal things you see expect to see, like the crowd, the stadium full of people, you know, because they obviously don't want to bring in and pay for extras and have them all, you know, jumping up and down and cheering. So it never really feels like this is a big international deal. It feels like... Um, this is sort of like the little league of race cars. I mean, you'd have a bigger crowd at a go kart stadium, um, and, and and it's it's just sad that I was they, saying they should use go karts maybe to get real footage. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it really is just a shame that uh, Jingle Ma has been reduced to doing things like this that he doesn't have the ability or the power or the budget to execute properly. Um, I, I would say, you know, I, I had, I have to admit, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Tang Wei. Um, and I'd say if you're like me and you have a soft spot for TV, it just for her cute moments, because, you know, as Kevin mentioned, she does kind of carry the film for the most part, uh, much better than her, her co-stars. Um, but that's a really hard sell. I mean, you have to really like Tang Wei. I, I root for her because I see her as sort of an underdog in cinema because she was blacklisted because I don't, I don't think she's gotten a fair deal. Um, I do agree that I think she's making some bad choices and I kind of think she's probably in a position where she just wants to work and this is what she's getting offered, unfortunately. So she's taking what she can get. I mean, 
you compare this with what she did earlier with um, her role in Wuxia, and it's like night and day. Um, so it's not the case that she doesn't have the talent. I just think it's what her agents are getting offered for. And hopefully she'll get some better roles, um, especially after her stint is, in I think this is, this is Tomway's only, you know, bonafide bad movie. I mean, every every project you can't tell why she would take it. I mean, for example, I mean, Lust Caution, obviously. And then um, it was the one after that, uh, Crossing Hennessy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was Ivy Ho, and, you know, it's a Hong Kong project, and, you know, it's easy to see why. Uh, and then she did a Korean film called Late Autumn. You know, it's an international project, speaks English, shot in America. Obviously, again, you know, clear to see why. Peter Chan's Wuxia, also a really clear choice. This is the only one that really kind of is the outlier. But even then, you can understand why she would take it. Yeah, But I think yeah. Cecilia really And she's is- kind of in the public eye right now. I think she's the spokesmodel for SK2 or... She has a lot. Of, she has a lot of uh, ad jobs. Yeah, she's yeah. she's on TV quite a lot, so she's getting a lot of FaceTime, which you know I think is good, and uh, people get more and more used to seeing her, and she can kind of distance herself from the lust caution controversy, and uh, hopefully get some more work. East Green, West Green. So we have a West Green film for this week, and that is. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Now, this is the 2011-2012 film from David Fincher, which is a remake of, I believe it's 2009, um, the the original um, Swedish version, which uh, came out, um, and is based on an actual trilogy of books by Stieg Larsson, which really got popular after his death. You know, it's, it's one of those unfortunate things, I guess, that happens where... You've got some work out there, and uh, you don't really get noticed until after you pass away. But um, I think it was only published after his death. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, so this is this is the the uh, remake from uh, David Fincher, starring Daniel Craig as the main character, uh, Michael Bloomquist, and Runa Mara as the title, sort of the title character, the girl with the dragon tattoo, uh, as Elizabeth Salander. So. The film basically takes place in in Sweden, and uh, the main character, Michael Blomkist, is an editor at a magazine called Millennium, and he, right at the start of the film, he finds himself embroiled in sort of a legal battle, and he's on the losing end, because he's, as a journalist, he's published a story, and as it turns out, um, the person he's publishing against has sued him, and it looks like uh, this, the, the lawsuit's going to ruin him because one of his sources turns out to be bad. Um, on the polar opposite side of this story, you have a parallel story running about this young hacker girl named Elizabeth Salander who wor- is working sort of as a freelancer for a firm, but she has a bit of a problematic background. She has a little bit of a goth. Um, she's a little bit of a, of a of a rebel, and so she's considered a, as a ward of the state because of her background. Um, and uh, a lot of people see her as being a little bit of a delinquent because of the tattoos and the piercings and the way she dresses. Um, but she's very, very good at what she does, which is sort of research and investigation. And of course, she's a bit of a tech head too, so she knows how to get things done. Um, using a lot of new media technology. Um, basically, the, these two paths end up converging as um, Michael Blomquist is uh, sort of sent out to the countryside to take up an odd job uh, investigating a death that happened some 40 years ago. And um, th- this death is in the family of uh, a man named Henrik Wanger, who's played uh, really well here by Christopher Plummer, um, and he's trying to investigate sort of the death and disappearance of his niece. Um, and so this is sort of like his last dying wish. He wants uh, Michael Bloomquist to come in and, and sort of take a fresh look at the case that's been bugging him all his life and see if he can come up with anything. And during this process, um, Michael Bloomquist brings on Elizabeth Salander um, to kind of help him through the investigation. And so their paths cross and their private lives get a little bit intertwined as well. Um, that sort of sets the basis for this story. It's a, I'm not sure how you'd kind of define it. It's kind of like um, 
procedural in some ways and in, in sort of a conspiracy slash investigation kind of kind of genre. Um, but it's somewhat slow moving because you've got both of these uh, narratives that don't really come together until the set, you know, the, the, the second hour is a two and a half hour film basically. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you've got the, like this hour of character buildup and then the second hour that really starts to get into the meat and the potatoes where these two characters start working together. Um, I think that, uh, that this is really, when you look at it in comparison with the 2009 film, it's a high production clone. Um, it, it looks beautiful. It's got an amazing intro credit sequence. I mean, the, that sequence alone was worth the price of admission for me. Um, it's the, the intro sequence. It's kind of like, I'm guessing it's, it looks like black oil, but it's kind of like tattoo ink CG that merges around and, and meshes with characters and uh, becomes things like wires and stuff. It's a really, really amazing sequence. Some people have mentioned that it's kind of reminiscent of a James Bond style intro in some ways. Um, I, I can kind of see that. Um, it's just really, really well done. And it's quite different from the intro sequence of the original 2009 film. And that kind of st stuck in my mind for some reason. Um, so it looks great. The film is, you know, shot beautifully. The cinematography is really well done. Um, in terms of comparisons with the film, I think Daniel Craig's Bloomquist is a bit more of a douchebag. Um, the, the Bloomquist in the 2009 version, he seems a lot more of just a simple and nice guy. And there are a couple things that they change in this film, I won't give out too many spoilers, that are different from the 2009 version that kind of highlight that. Um, and, and I'd say especially like the last, the very end scene of this film, which ends completely differently from the Swedish version. Um, this, they have different endings, and, and the ending here really paints Daniel Craig's version to be a bit, a bit of a DB. Um, <laughs> and the relationship that he has with Lisbeth is a little bit more pronounced. She seems a lot more into him here than in the original, from what I remember. Um, I think there's actually an additional love scene that I don't remember seeing in the original that mm -hmm. is that is in this film. I don't know if this film is closer to the book, though, because I haven't read the book, so that is a possibility. If you've read the book, maybe you can write in and, uh, you know, school me on that aspect of it. So I'm just going from the two movies themselves. According um, to uh, Steven Zellian, the, the scriptwriter, the uh, Blum Blomfist character, uh, he's even bigger DB in the book is he? than in the film. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in, in, in the 2009 film, he just came across as like really simple, nice guy. Um, and the way it ends, it doesn't end like it ends here. So maybe yeah. that's what Fincher was going for in this case. Um, but the ending is different. It's it's a little bit more extended um, than I remember the Swedish version to be. I mean, it's a good story. Uh, I, I was entertained the first time I watched it. Um, and I, I knew the story going in. I mean, I, I, I saw it a year ago, I think, when I saw the Swedish version. So it's still fairly fresh in my mind. Um, there were no surprises for me, but the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, this is, um, this is a pretty great story. It's got some really great characters. Uh, I really like the character of Elizabeth Salander. And I think that's probably why the series is doing quite well is in part because of, um, her attitude and, and her ability to do the things she does. Uh, if you don't mind subtitles, I'd say see the original first and of course then watch this one. Uh, my big question is, are they working on sequels? Because they should be. I mean, I don't know if this film is going to do financially well in the, in, in the States or not. It's basically just an English-language version. Um, in some cases, it seemed like there were a lot of almost shot-for-shot -shot redos um, from, you know, just going from my memory. Um, but I, I would certainly hope that they plan to continue through and, and, and do the other two stories. I mean... Daniel Craig's not getting any younger, um, although I will say he's a much more handsome Michael Bloomquist than um, the the actor in uh, well, what's his name in the 2009 version. Um, uh, uh, Michael Nyquist, mm -hmm. um, and I you know I think the actors uh, look did a really good job. Um, you know I think Runa Mari was great as Elizabeth, although it seemed to me that. 
she was kind of like a carbon copy of um uh, of the original i mean not a whole lot of difference um the original was done by naomi rapace who we talked about last week in uh, sherlock holmes um so yeah it see it but be warned that it is heavy in places because it does deal with uh you know abuse to women um that's one of the sort of the main aspects of the story a lot of abuse directed at Elizabeth and um at one point and that can be kind of hard to take for some people uh, but she has some really good revenge so kevin what did you what was your take on it um more in the um the sequels um the, the cast uh, i think i think um craig and daniel craig and rooney mara i think they signed on to three films uh however fincher isn't mm. so depending on um i guess how how well the film does it did cost 90 million dollars to make so it's going to be a little it's going to take a while for it to recoup the cost i think after that they'll decide sony will decide where to do the other two films and i really do hope fincher comes back because um this film is, is much of a success is due to fincher it is um well shot it is very polished it's fluidly edited um most of his visual style really can't isn't really um it's really subtle but it's really meticulously edited um Really well made, wonderful details. Um, I watched it twice now because of the um, the first the first time I watched watched it in the theater. There were some sound problems. I think I was suspecting there were sound problems. I had to watch it a second time to make sure. Um, so I picked up some details I didn't see the first time. Um, this really is one of the best directors working in Hollywood. You know, working at his top at the top of his game. Really, David Fincher, wonderful director. Um, really good, great work here. Even though um, it is. Um, Story-wise, it is kind of a carbon copy because it is based on the same material. Um, really awesome opening sequence. The immigrant song is an inspired choice, especially once you realize, you know, the whole film, what the whole film is about. Um, also, after reading some stuff, there was an article in Wired about the making of the opening sequence, and actually, the opening sequence contains um, bits from all three stories. Uh, so it kind of foreshadows stuff that aren't even in the movie, um, in this movie. So it's it's a really great opening sequence and it's something that uh one of the best i think um it's uh, it's on it's as good as other fincher opening sequences you know like um like seven seven is also uh, a fincher film and it also has a equally memorable opening sequence um some minor changes from the swedish film uh steven zillian said the script writer he intentionally didn't watch the swedish film he instead um uh adapted the book not the film so which just shows, I guess, both the both films are pretty uh, pretty faithful to the original, uh, to the book. Um, Daniel Craig is okay as Mikael Blom, Blomquist, I guess. I'm not good for European European uh, pronunciations. Uh, but Rooney Mara, she was great. Uh, the character Elizabeth Sounder really needs uh, a really great actress, uh, some of great presence, and Rooney Mara, who 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 actually at first only saw in social network in her own you know in her free scenes in the social network already great there we even better here i think she's gonna be a star uh if she keeps um showing this kind of intensity in her future roles um like you said earlier the relationship between blom blomquist and every time i say that word uh, the the character and, and Elizabeth salander the the relationship is really the kind of the emo- becomes the emotional core here because um the story itself is kind of cold um it is a procedural story, so part of it, um, I guess, it, it kind of lacks the emotional core, and uh, that's that's what the relationship is here for. Um, there is kind of an alternate ending. Um, the outcome is the same. If you read the book, if you've seen the, the, the Swedish film, then you know where it's going, but um, Steven Zillian gives it a, a bit of a twist, and it's kind of neat, even though it's not totally different. Um I know that if you've seen the, the Swedish film, you might not have much reason to see this remake. And I don't blame you. It, it's not a film that needed to be made. I think the only reason Sony made it so quickly, quickly is because I think the rights were going to slip it off their, slip it off their hands or something like that. So I had to, they had to make it before they lose the rights. Um, and I'm, but I'm glad it was made. You know, I'm, it was, it's a really well-made film. It's a really engaging film, even for 150 minute, you know, procedural, um, it is dark. It is, um, but I, the thing is, I knew what was going to happen, so the impact wasn't as heavy on me. But it is a dark film, but it, it's unsettling. Um, the the score by Atticus Ross and uh, and Trent Reznor, um, 
uh, really lean towards cyberpunk as you could expect, you know, from the former, uh, the front man of Nine Inch Nails, you could kind of expect that it would be like that. Um, but it's really involving, it's really engaging. Um, so I think that it's a better film than a Swedish version. Um, I think if you read the book and you, you're curious to see how it is and you've never seen the Swedish version, I think this, this is a good version to pick. Um, so I think it's a better film, even though it didn't need to be made. So my 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 rating is yeah, I mean see it. It's it's a great film. Yeah. It's it's just one of the more of these um you know, the sort of these Hollywood remakes that often begs the question of does it need to be remade? Um in in some ways I do agree it is a better film in places. Um but the the, the original is still a great film. I mean the original oh, it is, is, yes. is and you know, sort of, sort of in the, in the same vein. What was the vampire movie? Um, let the right one in and let me in, right? Um, where you just kind of ask yourself: Is it simply necessary to recast it and throw English dialogue on it, um, rather than come up with something completely new? Uh, and a lot of times, I find myself saying, uh, "I just, you know, don't see it." I mean, I know that the. Uh, uh, J horror was the big trend for a while, you know, mm. with the ring and, um, what was it? The, the grudge. Mm. And, um, then they kind of moved over to, uh, they're moving over to some European stuff now. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, you know, I was talking last week about, uh, things like troll hunter and, uh, rare exports, uh, from Norway. I don't think I'd want to see those remade by Hollywood. You know, I, I just, I like them in their original form. Uh, I just kind of wish Americans would get used to reading subtitles more. Yeah, um, but but I am glad that if the, if they had to remake it, they picked um, Fincher to remake it, and you know, yes. the, the it is uh, as remakes go. I will say it's an excellent remake. Um, I, I'll, I'll give it that. Um, I even though I knew what was coming, I enjoyed seeing the the main actors going through the motions. The the thing is, I I'm I'm kind of hesitant using the word remake because. They make it clear that this is an adaptation of the book. This is an American ad- interpretation of the book rather than a remake of the film. Because if you're re- making the film, that means they're, they're taking what the film had instead of they're taking what the, the yeah, novel Yeah, but I mean, it's still... Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a tough... Yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of things that they did filmic in, in, in a film manner that were reminiscent of the original. I mean, I, maybe the screen... A screenwriter didn't write it that way, but there are a lot of shots and, uh, you know, just a lot of little things that were very reflective of the original. Um, that is true. It'd be I, interesting to watch yeah. them side by side, you know, on, yeah. on TVs. Maybe I'll do that when the video comes out. But I think it's interesting because you say that because I think even the original film, I think even that in itself felt like it was influenced from Fincher's earlier film. I mean, in, in a way. It's kind of like quite seven. possible. You yes, know. I think in the, so. It's kind of interesting that this this Swedish film that was kind of, you know, they're uh, influenced by Hollywood serial killer films or mystery films. Um, then his, then Fincher takes it back and and does it at a, at a, at a you know does his own interpretation and and kind of takes it to his current style, which is kind of more like Social Network, kind of more you know fluid instead of more showy. Uh, his old aesthetics. It, it, it's interesting. Yeah, I think I would put this in like a triple feature, you know, with like or like a whole day marathon, you know, like yeah. two of Fincher's early films. Well, have you seen? Have you seen uh, the second and third part? No, I have them. I have them uh, ready to watch, and apparently those are done by different directors, and they were mainly made for TV, so they they're not they don't look as good, and they're just simply not as good as mm-hmm. the first film because the first film was ended up going to cinemas, but the two films were the other two films were clearly TV TV productions. Hmm. Uh, so I haven't seen those, but I will be looking at those, yeah. even though they're different directors. So I don't know how we'll, how they will come out. They're on iTunes, so yeah, yeah. The extended version of the first film is also on iTunes. The original, yeah. the extended TV version of the first film. But I think we can agree that this is a good film. Oh yes, it's an excellent film. I mean, it's it's. It, I, I there, there if nobody if you if a person's never seen the film, and I'd ask them this question: Do you like subtitles? Or not? If they told me no, then I'd say definitely see this version. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if they said they don't mind subtitles, I think I'd kind of point them to the original first. Mm-hmm. And because I think that the original might 
because the original maybe lacks some of the high production value that Fincher brought to this. I mean, again, this film, it, it looks stunning in some of the, some of the cinematography. And, and you can see that there's a, a bigger budget here compared with the Swedish film. And so I think going, you know, sort of from the Swedish version to this version and getting that sort of bigger budget feel and look to it, if you already know the story, there's still enough to keep you really enraptured. Mm. You know, and and again, the performance, not to take away from the performances, Daniel Craig's okay, Runamari's great, um, you know, with what they do. So, and, and Christopher Plummer, I love Christopher Plummer. Um, he, he was great as uh, Henry. Um, so yeah, definitely see it. All right, so as we're back to a new season, starting season three, one of my goals this year is to try and get back into doing the um, a, a weekly video, a video of the week, as it were. We, we did this kind of off and on um, back in season one, and I think we did it a couple times in season two. Never really got kind of sure what I wanted to do with the format, but I think we're going to try and keep it to something that's a current or pretty much a new release so that if you're out there and you're looking for something to sort of, you know, sort of snatch up on video, you can go online and, and order something that's um, a relatively recent release. So we'll just do one of these a week, and you know, we'll take turns. I think I'll, I think Kevin is probably going to be better suited to doing a lot of these more than I am, because he's in the know. Since oh, he I actually, wonder why. He actually works for one of these uh, companies. Um, but I wanted to start off this this season highlighting the re-release. This is the sort of, I guess, the 10th anniversary edition, the remastered edition, Blu-ray, of Pang Ho Chung's You Shoot, I Shoot. Um, now, this was released in cinemas um, just a couple months ago, back in October, right? And uh, I think a bunch of us went out and saw it again. It was nice to get out and, and see. It. It's um, they, they remastered it. It looks great. And so the remastered version is now available on Blu-ray as a Region A disc. Um, it features um, Cantonese and Mandarin audio, uh, subtitles and traditional Chinese, simplified Chinese, and English. So Region A means that all of you folks in the U.S. can get a hold of this and watch it. Um, I'm not sure if there'll be a region released for Europeans uh, just yet, but I would expect so. This is coming from Cam and Golden Harvest as the Blu-ray distributors, and it's got quite a few features. Now, I think most of these features, though, um, it lists nine of them here on the back of the case, um, are are found on the DVD. They're now, they, they've re-released the VCD, they've re-released the DVD, and I think a lot of these are on the original uh, yeah, DVD the six, release. Yeah, the uh, so-called 6th anniversary edition. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and so what you have is basically uh, audio commentary from both the director... And pro producer, uh, director Pang Ho Chung and producer Vincent Kok have an audio commentary. And then the actors, uh, Eric Kok and um, Chung Tat Meng, also have an audio commentary, a separate audio commentary. You got the theatrical trailer. Um, you've got deleted scenes complete with director commentary. And the nice thing about those deleted scenes is that they are subtitled. And that's a pretty long segment. I think it's about 30 minutes. But you see a much younger Pang Ho Chung. Um, so that was a segment that I think was done back with the original DVD release. Um, you've also got a making of You Shoot, I Shoot, which also has English subtitles. So um, that's quite nice as well. Um, you've got a bloopers reel also with subtitles. Um, DV footage from some of the DV shots that they were capturing for the film. Um, cast and filmmaker profiles. And then sort of the addition, I guess, this is the pretty much the new addition for the, the re-release here, is what they call the You Shoot, I Shoot 10th Anniversary uh, Remaster Premiere. Now, this is the real disappointment of the disc, because this is basically two short interviews 
um, that they held at the premiere back in uh, October of 2011. Um, about a three and a half minute interview with the director, Pango Chung, and a four minute interview with um, Jim Chim, who's um, really big. So he's kind of in focus uh, of late. <laughs> Neither of those interviews are subtitled. So if you don't speak Cantonese, um, you're not going to be able to follow along with what's going on. Um, the, the interviews are sort of done, looks like in the lobby of wherever they're premiering and um, the, the setup wasn't done very well, so you can actually see some reflection. You can see people like walking back and forth uh, during the interview um, behind the camera. Um, so n not, not all that great for uh, what I was kind of expecting and hoping for. But uh, the Blu-ray does look great. The movie looks good. It is still kind of grainy, even though it says it's blown up to full HD 1080p. It is remastered. It looks good, but it doesn't really look like what you'd expect for Blu-ray quality because the film was never intended for that when they when they created it. And in fact, if, you were, if you've seen the film, a lot of the film itself is done with um, some handheld video stuff. And obviously that stuff's not going to look like um, very good stuff when it's blown up to 1080p either. But um, the film does look colorful um, and it's, and it's a, you know, again, a great film. Um, if you've never seen it and... Uh, I mean, what could you say about it? It's basically about a, a, a hitman and a wannabe director who team up and make a company that films assassinations. So it's tongue-in-cheek, black humor in some, some ways, a tongue-in-cheek comedy, one of my favorite films of Hong Kong, and certainly my favorite film from Peng Ho Chung, and now available on Blu-ray for your perusal. Definitely, definitely a buy. Uh, and Kevin, you've got one in your queue, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get it. It is um, one of my favorite Pano Chan films, and I'm a big Pano Chan fan. Um, actually, I, I got to ask you, so, so you, Paul, you are of the camp that believes that uh, grain shouldn't be, you don't like grain on your Blu-rays. Well, I mean, it's like, this goes back to the, um, what is the movie? Uh, La, uh, not La Brasier, uh, La Lingerie. Uh -huh. Okay, the Blu-ray of La Lingerie looks terrible. It's like, why do a Blu-ray? I mean, if it's going to be exactly the same quality as the DVD. Um, you know, I, I'm of the mind that if I'm going to buy a Blu-ray, I kind of really want it to have that crispness to it. Um, and if you can't get that, it's kind of defeating the purpose of a Blu-ray, isn't it? Well, the thing is, because it's shot in film, so you, you do want to keep that quality of the film stock on and that's the reason why a lot of classic films on blu-ray they have to keep the grain but they, you know they, they of course uh sharpen the image but they kept the grain in order to keep that the the look of the original film stock and i believe that you should actually was shot on 35 mil so it, it was i'm not sure what it looks on blu-ray yet because i haven't seen it but sometimes yes it does look the, the the source looks terrible like like the the uh, better tomorrow blu-ray looks terrible because they never bothered actually making an hd cl cleaning up the print or making a real hd master so it looks terrible on blu-ray but um from look from the sound of it i guess they they kept much of original grain in the film film stock um and i'm not sure i i, I look forward to seeing how it looks i mean i remember the the remaster version looks fine on the big screen i look forward to seeing how the uh blu-ray looks but um i'm hoping the film the, the grain you're talking about is is part of the film and not not bad bad mastery no i think it is it is just um part of the film um again the colors the, the colors look a lot more vibrant and 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 um it definitely looks better than my vcd copy <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um you shoot i shoot is available now get it while it lasts because uh i think the older versions are out of print so that's our video pick of the week. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our show this week, folks. Um, remember, you can catch our show over there on Stitcher. 
You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is Smart Radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support. We'd also like to throw out a big thanks to Rob Govers over at Snauzer Studios for our theme. Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for keeping us out at the movies. Kevin Ma for sticking with me through thick and thin into our third season. Of course, you the listeners for sticking with us, including Hong Kong Dave, who's uh, jumped in at the last minute in the chat room. And, uh, yeah, uh, we will be back with our next episode, uh, episode 95, to look at what films? Uh, the Great Magician? Woohoo! Yeah. And maybe um, this sci-fi film, which I have no idea where it's from, kind of looks like Skyline, though, called The Darkest Hour that's in 3D. Thing. <laughs> Blah! Um, but that's pretty much the only other West screen option out there for this week, unless I want to go back and try and find a screening of Alvin and the Chipmunks or Twilight. <laughs> Why? Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's going to be for the next show. What do you got going on there, Mr. Ma? I mean... Uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing this week? Uh, this this week, uh, as always, I'm writing reviews for www.ypmovies.com.hk. Uh, take a break this week because there's only one film. Uh, but you can still check out my reviews of uh, My Name is Khan and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo over there. Um, I love HK Film has finally been updated. My, my review of Cedric Bali, both parts, is now on the site. Uh, I am working on a blog entry, uh, either covering my top 10 of the top 10 non-Hong Kong films of the year or um, or something about the year that I my eye in China. But either way, the blog should be updated within the next week or so. Uh, that's all at www.lovehkfilm.com. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm not sure if you mentioned that already, Paul. I forgot. No. But yeah, okay, you can follow me on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash the golden rock. That's one word, the golden rock. Right. I have 500 followers and therefore I am popular, so you must follow me. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I try my best and I try, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's where I am. All right. And of course, you can follow the show over at twitter.com slash concast or you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com stop by the website www.concast and leave us some commentary there if you would like to um as i mentioned next week episode 95 slowly creeping up to 100 we'll be looking at uh the great magician tony lung joshan lao ching wan doing magic wear a pen and teller when you need them right it's magic (laughs) magic all of that what's that i don't know where is that from it's magic Magic, yeah. Like, uh, you you know who Doug Henning is? No, no. Oh, I'm dating myself there. (laughs) Oh, well. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Magic! Magic to win. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, Michael Wall screen. Michael Wall screen. Oh, uh, where is it? Oh. I never get tired of that. <laughs> so much badness from 2011.